Do you remember the movie Back to the Future? In that entertaining vision of where we're headed, Doc Brown's DeLorean was powered with trash. I doubt that's where we'll end up fueling our cars in the future, but in a sense, waste-powered vehicles are already on the road. Used cooking grease is now commonly collected from restaurants and converted into biodiesel to power real vehicles. Speaking of our popular culture image of waste, one of the results of the civil rights movement in the 1960s was a college fund designed to increase the number of African-American students who could go to college. The slogan for ads promoting the fund was, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And that is certainly true. Well, food is also a terrible thing to waste. Recently, there's been quite a bit of public attention focused on that issue. There are incidences of food waste at all different levels of the food system, from loss beginning on the farm to food waste in the home or in restaurants. I'm glad more people are paying attention to this issue and working on solutions. However, the search for food waste solutions isn't just a new idea. There are efforts that have been going on for some time. What I'd like to talk about in this episode of Pop Agriculture are some of the food waste issues that have already been addressed. Well, you may ask, why focus on those and not focus on the big current problems? Well, first, we can take some encouragement from successful implementation examples. Also, these stories can give us ideas that might be applied to the food waste problems that remain under address today. And we can also talk about the fact that not only is food waste a bad thing, but waste is a terrible thing to waste. Let's start by talking about baby carrots. You know, the pre-peeled, nicely shaped little carrots that come in a bag from the produce aisle. These carrots are attractive to consumers as a convenient snack or as an easy addition to a salad. And they fall under a produce industry category known as fresh cut or minimally processed. Yes, baby carrots are tasty and convenient, but they also address a food waste issue for the commercial carrot industry. The part of the carrot that we eat develops underground, and there are various pests, including insects, nematodes, and fungi, that can damage the developing carrots. There are seed or soil treatments that can reduce the damage, but there still tend to be some problems. The full-size carrots you can buy by the bunch in the grocery store are the ones that were well enough protected to develop normally and look nice. Lots of other carrots end up being a little bit lumpy, misshapen, or maybe forked. And consumers generally wouldn't want to buy these ugly carrots. Now, in the past, the rejected carrots typically ended up going to animal feed or maybe to compost. So let me read you a section from Wikipedia about the history of baby-cut carrots. Quote, Taking fully grown carrots and cutting them to a smaller size was the brainchild of California farmer Mike Urasek in 1986. Urasek was unhappy about having to discard carrots because of slight rotting or imperfections and looked for a way to reclaim what would otherwise be a waste product. He was able to acquire an industrial green bean cutter, which cut his carrots into two lengths 
and then by placing these lengths in a potato peeler, he created the original baby-cut carrot, which he branded Bunny Love. Eurosec's innovation allowed the industry to turn much more of the carrot harvest into food for humans. The trimmings could still go into something like juice or could still go to feed animals, but from each ton of carrots harvested, quite a bit more could be sold to the consumers. It's interesting to look back at the historical data from that period. Carrot consumption actually jumped up with the introduction of baby carrots, but the total of carrots acres grown actually went down. It's a perfect example of more with less and a reduction in food waste. There are other waste reduction examples from that fresh cut sector of the produce industry. For instance, you may have noticed that you can buy broccoli in the grocery store either as the kind with the big long stalks or usually for a bit more money, broccoli crowns, which are just the flower part without the stalks. Broccoli is a flower that just hasn't opened yet. In the later case, the thick stalks were removed back at the facility where the broccoli was pared and trimmed for marketing. Those stalks can then be shredded and mixed with other shredded vegetables to make slaw that also ends up being used as a food for humans. Now, you could make slaw with the stalks at home, but most people just put them in the trash. And if consumers do toss them, they end up in the landfill where they get converted to methane, and that is not a good outcome from a greenhouse gas perspective because methane is 24 times as potent as a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. It's a case where waste is a terrible thing to waste. At least if your trash company handles green waste separately, it would be better to put those stocks there. Another better option for the consumer is to put the stocks down the disposal, but only if your sewage treatment district has what is called an anaerobic digester system. An anaerobic digester takes all the organic matter that comes through the sewer lines and lets the bacteria that grow in the absence of air convert that matter to methane on purpose. Then the methane is burned to generate electricity, and so what is being re-emitted is carbon dioxide after the burning, which is then carbon neutral because it's just returning the same amount of CO2 to the atmosphere that the broccoli plant captured out of the atmosphere when it was growing. There's another great way not to waste waste that involves this idea of an anaerobic digester. Now, many restaurants, whether fast food or fine dining, purchase their onions already peeled and maybe sliced or even diced. The onions are processed to that point either somewhere within the region or even close to where they were grown. And one of the bigger onion processing companies in California, it's called Gill's Onions, and they process tons of onions every day. Since every onion has to be peeled and some rotten ones have to be rejected, you can imagine that they have a huge amount of rather stinky food waste to deal with. Now, you could haul those trimmings and culls back out and spread them on the fields, but even that represents a rather odiferous burden on the local community. So, Gills invested in an anaerobic digester that was big enough to handle all of their daily onion waste. And the energy they get from burning the digester's methane now provides most of the power they need to run their processing plant. And they don't have that mountain of strong-smelling waste to deal with. The digester required a big capital outlay, but over time, the energy savings have paid for that investment. 
Really, when there is any part of the food waste stream that can't go to some better use, a digester is really the best option. You often hear about composting of organic waste, but composting actually generates more methane than most people realize. So a digester is always the better option if it's feasible. Well, let's talk about the kind of food waste that's a little closer to home. If you buy fresh fruit often, which is a good thing to do from a health perspective, you've undoubtedly experienced times when it got moldy, especially if you keep it around very long. For instance, have you had lemons that turned into those green spore bombs? Or have you had strawberries that turned into powdery gray balls? In these cases, the fruit is overgrown by a fungus. In the case of the lemons, it's usually a fungus called penicillium. Yes, it's actually related to the fungus that makes the antibiotic penicillin. That's a good thing that come from that fungus, but when penicillium rots your lemons, that's not such a great thing. During the harvesting of lemons, there can be tiny injuries from the thorns on the trees or from the harvesting equipment. If a spore of the fungus infects that injury, it can later start growing and eventually rot the lemon on your counter or in your refrigerator. Now, when lemons are harvested, they are typically taken to a packing house where they're washed and sorted for size and color. In California, lemons are harvested during the winter and early spring, but the peak demand for lemons is in the summer. You know, lemonade, lemon in iced tea, lemon in margaritas, all of that. Well, lemons don't just mold on your kitchen counter. They can also rot while being stored for several months. Fortunately, there are some very non-toxic fungicides that can be applied to the lemons while they're going through that packing line on the way to the storage or before they're being sent to the store for you to buy. Those fungicides can stop the infections and the tiny injuries from progressing to the full-fledged spore bomb. This sort of post-harvest treatment prevents a great deal of food waste that otherwise would go on all the time. Now, this is not just true for lemons, but quite a few other fruits that go through packing lines. Well, not all fruit goes through such a line where a post-harvest fungicide could be applied. Consider the example of strawberries. Strawberries are field pack, which means they're put into those clamshell containers that we buy them in, either while they're being picked or at a little packing station right beside the strawberry field. They're far too delicate to run through a packing line like you would with a lemon or an apple or some other robust kind of fruit. So what can be done to reduce the food waste that happens when strawberries go moldy? that gray fungus, which in this case is called botrytis. One of the things that distinguishes strawberries and other berries from other crops is they aren't picked just one time in the season. They are actually picked every few days over weeks or months, even as much as eight or nine months of the year in certain growing regions. And that botrytis fungus that can rot the strawberries can also happen while they're still in the field. But if a grower does a good job of preventing those field infections with well-timed fungicide applications, then there are fewer spores of the botrytis fungus around to start the infections that would otherwise develop into the spore bomb in your refrigerator. So good control of the disease in the field throughout the season leads to strawberries that are much less likely to mold once they reach the store or the customer. So, maintaining clean, healthy strawberry fields is a big help in reducing food waste at the consumer level. 
there's a related food waste reduction strategy for potatoes. Now, whether the potatoes are going to be sold to the consumer whole or whether they're going to be processed into frozen fries, there's a need to store them for many months. For instance, most potatoes are harvested in the fall, but of course, we like to eat them all year. So potatoes are put into cold storage rooms, and, and they can last there for many months. For the frozen french fries, it makes the most sense to build a processing facility with a capacity that fits using them all year long, rather than one that's large enough to process everything quickly in the fall. It's better from a capital investment point of view, and obviously better for the people who work there so they can have a full-year job. So yes, potatoes can be stored, but there are pests that can make them rot or otherwise decline, and those spoilage issues tend to get worse the longer the potatoes are stored. Now, if a potato grower does a really good job of controlling the potato pests during the growing season, there's a much better chance of those potatoes being available and being able to last for the longer storage time. Actually, the way the grower gets paid, they get more if their potatoes can be stored longer. So if they want to go for that long-term storage segment, they need to do an extra good job of pest control during the growing season. Then their potatoes won't go to waste during storage. In the produce industry, when people are talking about food waste, the term you often hear is shrink. It refers to any loss of food along the way. So if potatoes go bad or rot in storage, that would be called storage shrink. If a shipment of peaches is sent from California to the Midwest by a refrigerated truck, but the peaches get moldy by the time they reach their destination, that's called transport shrink. And a big part of preventing transport shrink as a form of food waste is making sure that the contents of the truck are maintained at a really low temperature so that they won't decay. And actually, there are lots of technologies being used to monitor the shipment temperature along the way and to give a warning if anything goes wrong. Again, it's one of those practical solutions to food waste. Once the produce gets to the regional distribution center for the grocery chain or to the individual stores, it's really important that they are held at the appropriate temperature. Otherwise, you get more decay, which is called distribution or retail shrink. One thing I appreciate about the Costco wholesale grocery chain is that even when the produce is on display for the consumer, they keep much of it in a walk-in cold room. Many grocery stores display their produce at room temperature, often in a way to make it look like it's being displayed at a farmer's market. And that's okay as long as the turnover is fast enough that it doesn't spend very much time out there at room temperature. But the longer the produce is warm, the shorter its life is going to be once you bring it home. So what Costco does by making you walk into that cold room is really a food waste prevention strategy. It's also a really nice place to go on a hot day. Although we've addressed several innovative solutions employed by growers, food manufacturers, and retailers, I want to put in a plug for the No Taste for Waste campaign that kicked off in the spring of 2018. The campaign was developed to help the average person understand that farmers have no taste for waste. There's no doubt that American farmers have become better at feeding more people on less land. Thanks to technology, one farmer today can feed more than 155 people in a year compared to only 19 people in 1940. 
But with increased production comes the responsibility to use sustainable practices and limit waste. And reducing loss and waste has become part of business on the farm. The methods farmers use depend on the types of crops they grow. Some donate excess produce to food banks and families in need. Some grow crops like peanuts to be zero waste or find ways to utilize cosmetically challenged fruits and vegetables. The No Taste for Waste initiative is meant to raise awareness about the issue of food loss and waste while uniting all of us, farmers and families, in making changes to reduce waste. By working together, we can all become more mindful about the food we eat, the food we toss, and find ways to limit waste. You can find more tips and information at notasteforwaste.org. You can follow me on Twitter at GrapeDoc, at G-R-A-P-E-D-O-C, and visit my blog at www.popagriculture.com.